0: All right. Hey, are there any uh, James Madison University fans here this morning? Oh, I see a couple. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's a uh, it's a big weekend for the Dukes. I don't know if you heard the news, but uh, JMU's moving out of the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Association, into the Sun Belt Conference, which means they're kind of moving up a notch. They're in the big leagues playing uh, football. Uh, in, in a bigger stage, and it's, it's pretty exciting. It, it reminds me of a few years back when I was a sophomore at JMU in 2015, and James Madison had uh, an undefeated season, and it was a pretty exciting year. The energy around it was great. Vadley, our quarterback at the time, was uh, he was an NFL prospect, and people. it was a big year, and uh, we were undefeated, and our next game was against the University of Richmond, which was the biggest rival of the year, and And uh, in this weird turn of events, there weren't any big, like, number one versus number two matchups in college football that weekend. And College Game Day, which is, if you don't know, ESPN's uh, show that's live at 8 a.m. every Saturday morning at different college campuses all around the nation, they decided they were coming to none other than Harrisonburg, Virginia, and they were going to broadcast live from JMU on the quad that Saturday. I've never seen James Madison so electric. It was such an exciting uh, time. Everybody was getting ready. They were getting hyped up, and uh, it it was crazy. The Thursday before, I, I stacked all my classes that semester to where I took all of my classes, all five classes, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which meant there were literally five days of the week that I didn't do anything. I don't know what I did with my time back then. I wish I could go back in some ways, but I was in there from two, uh, Tuesday and Thursday from like 8 a.m., until about 5 p.m. It was a long day, and this Thursday, it was about 3.45, and I was in class, and I was thinking about the game. I started to daydream about the weekend and college game day being there, and I was so excited, and as I started to imagine the game, it was almost like I could hear the marching band playing the fight song, and I could hear, Madison, James Madison, and it was almost like I could hear students chanting, JMU, JMU, and I look over in the corner of the classroom, and There's a window cracked, and I wasn't imagining it. I really could hear the band playing and people cheering, and and right about that moment, I heard a familiar voice, and it was one of my roommates and a, a fellow Young Life leader in Harrisonburg. His name was Kyle Brinkley, and he had been sitting in class in the same building in a different room, and he was scrolling through his phone, and he saw a tweet from James Madison that said, college game day's bus was pulling into campus right now. It was 3.45, they were pulling in at four, and a bunch of people saw that, and thousands of people started pouring onto the quad, and he saw what was going on, and he realized there are poor, innocent people who are sitting in class right now and are gonna miss this amazing thing that's happening out there. So what he did was he stood up in the middle of his class and he said guys college game day is coming here right now we gotta go and he storms out of his classroom but it wasn't enough for him just to tell his own classmates he starts running through the halls of Harrison Hall and he's bursting open doors and he's saying college game day's here we gotta go and people just start pouring out of their classrooms into the hallways and I knew what was coming and I'm kind of a rule follower I don't like to break the rules and he bursted into my classroom and he made eye contact with me and he said college game day's here we gotta go Landon come on and uh I don't know what came over me, but I left everything, all my books, everything, and I, I followed him out, and we see thousands of people. It was an incredible scene, the bands there, the cheerleaders, the Duke Dog, it's, it's crazy, and uh, we start flying through all these people, trying to get to the front, trying to get on the video camera, try to be on national television, and uh, one of my friends was actually up a couple steps, and they recorded a video of me acting ridiculous but uh if you it's quick but if you look there's a quick shot of me and it zooms in a little bit we can go ahead and roll that it it was awesome i thought that was it uh and then a few weeks later uh, I went home and the Madison Magazine, which sends out like a, a magazine to all the alumni, students, parents, things like that. They sent out a magazine and on the front page was this huge spread of a thousand people and it was this picture. It's a little bit of a Where's Waldo. If you go up from the camera, you can see me. I won't keep it up long because I look ridiculous, but uh, it, it was amazing. It was so much fun. We can take that picture off. if uh, I'll show you later if you couldn't find me. But uh, I... Would have missed it. I would have sat in communication theory class for another hour and a half if my friend Kyle Brinkley hadn't decided, man, everybody needs to know what's going on outside here. And I'm so grateful that he told me. There's a a verse in the Bible in Psalm 107, and it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And what that verse is saying is, Let the people who've been transformed by Jesus, by his gospel, let them be people who speak about the power of the gospel. Let them be people who say so, who tell other people. This morning, I want to look at an account in, uh, in the book of Acts, and uh, we see two people who I believe live lives that say so, who are so transformed by the gospel that they couldn't help but tell other people. They couldn't help but burst through classrooms and burst through hallways like Kyle did, telling people what they might be missing to tell them about the power of Jesus. If you want to flip there with me, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And uh, for some context purposes, this is the first miracle that's actually done after Jesus ascends into heaven. He comes and he dies on a cross and then he raises from the dead and then shortly thereafter he ascends into heaven and he gives the disciples this crazy task of taking the news about him to the ends of the earth. And this is the first miracle that we see performed without him here on the earth. So I'm going to read it if you want to follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. I think that's the ESV and whatever you might have, it's, it's great. But here I go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, this morning, I want to take a look at this passage and this account and key in on three specific things we see about Peter and John. And the first thing is this I think we have a slide for this. Peter and John had access. To the power of Jesus. See, normally when someone performs a miracle, it's to show the power of the person who performs it. But that wasn't the case here. Peter and John performed this miracle in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You could almost argue that Peter and John aren't the power of this miracle, they're not even the ones that perform it. Instead, Jesus performs this miracle through them. And what's crazy is they have Jesus' power. And the same is true of me and you. We have access to the power of Jesus. And my question would be, are we using it? I had a mentor in college who used to often ask me this question. He would say, Landon, what are you doing today that would only work if Jesus showed up? What are you doing today that would only work if you truly had Jesus's power? In so many days of my life, I have to admit that I'm not doing anything that would only work if Jesus shows up. But why not? We have the power of Jesus. We have access to it. Are we using it? Because they perform this incredible miracle in Jesus' name, we see people start to say, wow, this guy who was sitting, this guy we saw before is now healed and jumping and praising God. And they started to ask questions. And because of that, Peter and John have an opportunity, if you follow it down, I won't read it, but they begin to speak about Jesus and how he's the Messiah and the one who changes everything. They're living lives that say so. And because of this miracle and because they get to speak about it, we see 2,000 people start a relationship with Jesus that day. It's this incredible, amazing thing. But then enter the teachers of the law. The same teachers of the law that butted heads with Jesus when he was walking the earth. The same teachers of the law who were integral in getting rid of Jesus and having him put to death. And they hear what's going on and they don't like it at all. And they go and they find Peter and John And they grab them and they throw them in jail and then they put them on trial the next day and they pull them aside and they say by what power did you do this by what power did you perform this miracle and Peter and John know that the answer they don't want to hear is Jesus all they have to do is kind of shrug and say I don't know but they knew that they were going to speak the truth and here is Peter and John's response when they say, by what power? If you want to follow with me, I'm actually now in, in uh, chapter four, verses eight through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called today, called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed he is the stone you builders rejected which has become the capstone salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved Peter and John don't soften their answer they say it boldly they say this is in the power of Jesus who you put to death and who's resurrected from the dead and then they really don't like it there because they don't want people to hear about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. They're trying to put this thing to rest. But we're going to look at one uh, verse later, and, and this might be one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and this is the response of the teachers of the law when Peter and John say this. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That leads me to my second point. Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled men. How'd they get their power? They got it from being with Jesus, from following him for all those years as his ministry was taking place here on earth. And uh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to watch these teachers of the law who had studied the scriptures their whole lives watch two fishermen in Peter and John, quote Psalm 118 as they say, the stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. To, to talk about Jesus and how he's resurrected from the dead, their jaws must have dropped. And it says, they were in awe because they were ordinary, unschooled men, but they took note because they had been with Jesus. They didn't have the qualifications of the time. They weren't uh, teachers that had been through the right training and things like that, but they had been with Jesus. And I think the same is true of us. I think often we say, man, I know that Jesus is going to move. I know that he's going to do powerful things, but it's going to be through someone maybe who's got a seminary degree, maybe through someone who has more knowledge than me or who might be more eloquent than me or you name it, and we come up with all these things. But I don't believe that's true. Those things are all important, and the Lord does move through those. But he also moves through ordinary, unschooled men and women. If you hear one thing today, hear this. Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I'll say it again. Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. The gospel was sent like an explosion out of Jerusalem, and we see it in the book of Acts. And it was done through 11 rough and rowdy dudes. Imagine what he would do if we let him get a hold of us here in this room today. Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And as we see the story come to a close, um, what we see is, is these teachers of the law are, are so upset and they bring them in and they threaten them and essentially what happens is they threaten Peter and John and they say, you need to stop talking about this guy Jesus. You need to stop talking about him being resurrected from the dead. You need to stop doing miracles in his name and they threaten them they probably threaten them with saying we're going to we're going to throw you back in jail again. We'll tr- we'll do worse. We'll even treat you like we treated Jesus who they had just put to death. And uh I I've never had my life threatened in a in a real way, but I imagine my response would be much more sheepish than uh Peter and John and and how they respond. We're looking now in in chapter 4 verses 18 through 20 and it says, "Then they called them in again. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They don't just say we won't stop, they say we cannot stop speaking about the things we've seen and heard. That's our our third point. Peter and John wouldn't be stopped. What did Peter and John see and hear? As Jesus' disciples, Peter and John watched as Jesus turned water into wine. They watched as water blushed in the face of its creator. They watched as Jesus took a small boy's lunch and fed 5,000 men. They watched as he restored a blind man's sight with his touch. They saw a woman who had been sick for years and years, healed simply by grabbing the edge of his cloak. They saw storms yield at his voice. They saw him transfigured on a mountaintop into his heavenly state. They saw dead bodies breathed back into life because he told them to. And then they saw him hanging on a cross, covered in sin and shame but not his sin and shame it was their sin and shame it was my sin and shame and it was your sin and shame and he died the death that we deserved to die and then three days later they saw him resurrected and they saw the holes in his hands where he'd been crucified and they saw the scars in his side and then they saw him Ascend into heaven. See, they knew that Jesus wasn't just a good man, just a good teacher. They knew he was exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah, the one that everyone had been searching for. And they couldn't, no, they wouldn't stop speaking about the things they've seen and heard. Peter and John make it out alive here. And uh, I can't help but admit that as a reader of this story, I breathe a sigh of relief. The good guys get to go home. Peter and John live to fight another day, let's go. But shortly hereafter, Peter and John meet an unfortunate fate. But I don't believe that it surprised them when Peter was put to death pretty similarly to how Jesus was. I don't think it surprised John when he was exiled. Because they knew that if we speak about these things, we've received the threats. It's not going to go well for us. But they knew that they wouldn't, no, they couldn't stop speaking about the things that they've seen and heard. There was a young life leader in uh, in Texas. His name was Todd Bush, and he was a young guy. He was about 30 years old, and he worked a nine-to-five, and in his extra time, he gave his his life away as a, a young life leader, and uh, he went on a trip with um, with some high school guys, and over the course of the weekend, he, he got sick, and he got a, a stomach bug, and it was a pretty simple illness, but in this weird, crazy freak accident, that night as he was getting ill, he stretched his neck out in a weird way, and he had a stroke, um, and his wife found him, and he was collapsed, and she took him to the hospital, and uh, he, he was put on life support, and there was several weeks where they thought that Todd was going to get better, but then it became clear that, that Todd um, was declining, and she knew that it was time for, for Todd to go. So she called all their friends and family and said, hey, we want you to come in and, and say your goodbyes to Todd. So Todd's best friend came to the hospital and, and was given an opportunity to say goodbye to Todd. And with tears rolling down his face, he, he said his goodbyes and shared some stories and encouragements. And, and, uh, and he left the room and he went into the hallway in the hospital and he could hear uh, kind of the, the moments. And he, he knew that, that right then Todd had gone home to be with his heavenly father. And uh, what happened next was a really unique and interesting thing. See, Todd was an organ donor and uh, he watched as they started to prepare Todd and and essentially what was gonna happen now is they were gonna take some of Todd's organs and they were gonna give them to other people who were in desperate need of them. And uh, he watched as they wheeled his body back into this room and he just kinda had this bird's eye view and he sees Todd wheeled back and then he sees this nurse roll a cart with an igloo cooler on top of it into this room. And what he comes to find out is that nurse was taking a cooler where they were gonna take Todd's heart they were gonna put it in that cooler and wheel it out of the hospital, put it on a helicopter and fly it to someone who would otherwise die if they didn't have a new heart. And he watched the nurse roll in and then roll the cart out and she's got this heart and she rolls it down to the end of the hallway and she swipes her access badge to get through these double doors to put that heart on a helicopter and it says, access denied. She looks and she swipes her card again and it says, access denied again. And she realizes and she starts to panic and she bangs on the door and she looks through the window and she says, I need someone to help me. And no one comes and she's banging on the door and she's swiping her card and she starts to develop this panic and she looks around and she realizes what she needs to do. She takes that cooler on top of that cart and she backs it up about 10 or 15 feet. And this nurse who's about five foot nothing, 99 pounds runs as fast as she can and she slams that cart those doors And the alarms start to sound, but she doesn't look back. And she takes that heart and she puts it on the helicopter because she knew that someone was in desperate need of a new heart and she had to get it where it needed to go. See, I think the nurse that day was a lot like Peter and John in this story. We've got another slide that you can toss up there. Peter and John had access to the power of Jesus. In the same way, that nurse had access to the power of this heart, which could save someone's life. Peter and John were just ordinary, unschooled men. This nurse wasn't the surgeon. She wasn't the donor. All she needed to do was get that heart from point A to point B. And the third is this. That nurse, just like Peter and John, wouldn't be stopped on her mission. And she was doing whatever it takes to get that heart where it needs to go and then there's us because we have access to the power of Jesus and we might just be ordinary unschooled men and women maybe we don't have a seminary degree maybe we aren't missionaries over across the country but I'll tell you right outside the doors here at Church of the Holy Spirit there are people in desperate need of what we have in Jesus in desperate need of a new heart that are otherwise dying without it. And my question is, will we stop? Will we be stopped? It would be a sad story if that nurse just turned the cart around and said, I guess I'm not getting out. Or will we be a people who do whatever it takes to be people who say so, that say this thing, this person, Jesus, the Messiah, it changes everything. And we got to burst through those doors to take them the heart of life. I'm going to close with two questions and, and we'll lead into a time of prayer. And I'd love for you to spend a little bit of time reflecting on these two questions. The first is, what have you seen or heard Jesus do in your life or in the lives of others that you can't stop speaking about? And the second is, will we be stopped? Because I think so often, the times that we're not bursting out of those doors or running through classrooms like Kyle was that day telling people about Jesus, it's because we might have forgotten about the things we've seen or heard or experienced from Jesus in our own lives. So reflect on those two questions as we lead into a time of prayer. One, what have you seen or heard Jesus do in your life or in the lives of others that you can't stop speaking about? And two... Will we be stopped? Let me pray, and then we'll lead into a time of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that you love us. Pray that we would fall more in love with you. Pray that we wouldn't stop speaking about the things we've seen and heard. It's in your name we pray. Amen.